I know I say this a lot, but I really mean it. You guys really bless me with your faithfulness, the faithfulness of this community here to, to be the family of God is just always very inspirational to me. This morning we are going to be in the book of First Samuel, if you want to follow along. Our, our modern Bibles break this up into First and Second Samuel and uh, First and Second Kings, but that was actually originally all one long work, and uh, we kind of break it up uh, based on the, the scrolls it was recorded on, because it's so long you couldn't just write it on one, one scroll. So we are going to be in First Samuel reading the first three chapters. There was a certain man from Ramathame, a Zephite, a, a Zuphite rather, from the hill country of Ephraim, whose name was Elkanah, son of Jerohoam, the son of Elihu, the son of Tohu, the son of Zuph, an Ephraimite. He had two wives. One was called Hannah, and the other was called Peninnah. Peninnah had children, but Hannah had none. Year after year, this man went up from his town to worship and sacrifice to the Lord Almighty at Shiloh, where Hophni and Phinehas, two sons of Eli, were priests of the Lord. Whenever the day came for Elkna to sacrifice, he would give portions of the meat to his wife, Penina, and to all her sons and daughters. But to Hannah he gave a double portion, because he loved her, and the Lord had closed her womb. Because the Lord had closed Hannah's womb, her rival kept provoking her in order to irritate her. This went on for year after year. Whenever Hannah went up to the house of the Lord, her rival provoked her till she wept and would not eat. Her husband, Elkanah, would say to her, Hannah, why are you weeping? Why don't you eat? Why are you downhearted? Don't I mean more to you than ten sons? Once, when they had finished eating and drinking in Shiloh, Hannah stood up. Now Eli, the priest, was sitting on his chair by the doorpost of the Lord's house. In her deep anguish, Hannah prayed to the Lord, weeping bitterly. And she made a vow, saying, Lord Almighty, if you will only look on your servant's misery and remember me and not forget your servant, but give her a son, then I will give him to the Lord for all the days of his life, and no razor will ever be used on his head. As she kept praying to the Lord, Eli, oops, Eli observed her mouth. Hannah was praying in her heart, and her lips were moving, but her voice was not heard. Eli thought she was drunk and said to her, How long are you going to stay drunk? Put away your wine. Not so, my lord, Hannah replied. I am a woman who is deeply troubled. I have not been drinking wine or beer. I was pouring out my soul to the Lord. Do not take your servant for a wicked woman. I have been praying here out of my great anguish and grief. Eli answered, Go in peace, and may the God of Israel grant you what you have asked of him. She said, May your servant find favor in your eyes. Then she went away ate something, and her face was no longer downcast. Early the next morning they arose and worshipped before the Lord and then went back to their home at Ramah. Elkanah made love to his wife Hannah, and the Lord remembered her. So in the course of time Hannah became pregnant and gave birth to a son. She named him Samuel, saying, Because I asked the Lord for him. When her husband Elkanah went up with his family to offer annual sacrifice to the Lord and to fulfill his vow, Hannah did not go. She said to her husband, After the boy is weaned, I will take him and present him before the Lord, and he will live there always. Do what seems best to you, her husband Elkanah told her. 
Stay here until you have weaned him. Only may the Lord make good his word. So the woman stayed home and nursed her son until she had weaned him. After he was weaned, she took the boy with her. Young as he was, along with a three-year-old bull, an ephah of flour, and a skin of wine, and brought him to the house of the Lord at Shiloh. When the bull had been sacrificed, they brought the boy to Eli, and she said to him, Pardon me, my Lord, as surely as you live, I am the woman who stood here beside you praying to the Lord. I prayed for this child, and the Lord grant, has granted me what I asked of him. So now I give him to the Lord, for, for his whole life he will be given over to the Lord, and he worshiped the Lord there. Then Hannah prayed and said, My heart rejoices in the Lord. In the Lord my horn is lifted high. My mouth boasts over my enemies, for I delight in your deliverance. There is no one holy like the Lord. There is no one beside you. There is no rock like our God. Do not keep talking so proudly or let your mouth speak such arrogance, for the Lord is a God who knows, and by him deeds are weighed. The bows of the warriors are broken. But those who stumble are armed with strength. Those who are full hire themselves out for food. But those who are hungry are hungry no more. She who is barren has borne seven children, but she who has many sons pines away. The Lord brings death and makes alive. He brings down to the grave and raises up. The Lord sends poverty and wealth. He humbles and he exalts. He raises the poor from the dust and lifts the needy from the ash heap. He seats them with princes and has them inherit a throne of honor. For the foundations of the earth are the Lord's. On them he has set the world. He will guard the feet of his faithful servants, but the wicked will be silenced in the place of darkness. It is not by strength that one prevails. Those who oppose the Lord will be broken. The Most High will thunder from heaven. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He will give strength to his king and exalt the horn of his anointed. Then Elkanah went home to Ramah, but the boy ministered before the Lord under Eli the priest. Eli's sons were scoundrels. They had no regard for the Lord. Now it was the practice of the priests that whenever any of the people offered a sacrifice, the priest's servants would come, come in with a three-pronged fork in his hand while the meat was being boiled and would plunge the fork into the pan or kettle or cauldron or pot. Whatever the fork brought up, the priest would take for himself. This is how they treated all the Israelites who came to Shiloh. But even before the fat was burned, the priest's servant would come and say to the person who was sacrificing, Give the priest some meat to roast. He won't accept boiled meat from you, but only raw. If the person said to him, Let the fat be burned first and then take whatever you want, the servant would answer, No, hand it over now. If you don't, I'll take it by force. The sin of the young men was very great in the Lord's sight, for they were treating the Lord's offering with such contempt. But Samuel was ministering before the Lord, a boy wearing a linen ephod. Each year his mother had made him a little robe and took it to him when she went up with her husband to offer the annual sacrifice. Eli would bless Elkanah and his wife, saying, May the Lord give you children by this woman to take the place of the one she prayed for and gave to the Lord. And they would go home. And the Lord was gracious to Hannah. She gave birth to three sons and two daughters. Meanwhile, the boy Samuel grew up in the presence of the Lord. Now Eli, who was very old, heard about everything his sons were doing to all Israel and how they slept with the woman who served at the entrance of the tent of meeting. So he said to them, why do you do such things? I hear from all the people about these wicked deeds of yours. Now my sons, the report I hear spreading among the Lord's people is not good. 
If one person sins against another, God may mediate for the offender. But if anyone sins against the Lord, who will intercede for them? His sons, however, did not listen to their father's rebuke, for it was the Lord's will to put them to death. And the boy Samuel continued to grow in stature and favor with the Lord and with all the people. Now a man of God came to Eli and said to him, This is what the Lord said. Did not I clearly reveal myself to your ancestors' family when they were in Egypt under Pharaoh? I chose your ancestor out of all the tribes of Israel to be my priest, to go up to my altar, to burn incense, and to wear an ephod in my presence. I also gave your ancestors' family all the food offerings presented by the Israelites. Why do you scorn my sacrifice and offering that I prescribed for my dwelling? Why do you honor your sons more than me by fattening yourselves on the choice parts of every offering made by my people Israel? Therefore, the Lord God of Israel declares, I promise that the members of your family, I promised that the members of your family would minister before me forever, but now the Lord declares, far be it from me. Those who honor me I will honor, but those who despise me will be disdained. The time is coming when I will cut short your strength and the strength of your priestly house so that no one in it will reach old age. And you will see distress in my dwelling. Although good will be done to Israel, no one in your family line will ever reach old age. Every one of you I do not cut off from serving at my altar. I will spare only to destroy your sight and your strength, and your descendants will die in the prime of life. And whatever happens to your two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, will be assigned to you. They will both die on the same day. I will raise up for myself a faithful priest who will do according to what is in my heart and mind. I will firmly establish his priestly house, and they will minister before my anointed one always. And then everyone left in your family line will come and bow down before him for a piece of silver and a loaf of bread and plead, appoint me to some priestly office so that I can have food to eat. The boy Samuel ministered before the Lord under Eli. In those days, the word of the Lord was rare, and there were not many visions. One night, Eli, whose eyes were becoming so weak that he could barely see, was lying down in his usual place. The lamp of God had not yet gone out, and Samuel was lying down in the house of the Lord where the ark of God was. Then the Lord called Samuel. Samuel answered, Here I am. And he ran to Eli and said, Here I am. You called me. But Eli said, I did not call. Go back and lie down. So he went and lay down. Again the Lord called Samuel, and Samuel got up and went to Eli and said, Here I am, you called me. My son, Eli said, I did not call you. Go back and lie down. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord. The word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. A third time the Lord called Samuel, and Samuel got up and went to Eli and said, Here I am, and you called me. Then Eli realized that the Lord was calling the boy. So Eli told Samuel, Go and lie down, and if he calls you, say, Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. The Lord came and stood there, calling as at the other times, Samuel, Samuel. Then Samuel said, Speak, for your servant is listening. And the Lord said to Samuel, See, I am about to do something in Israel that will make the ears of everyone who hears about it tingle. At that time, I will carry out against Eli everything I spoke against his family from beginning to end. For I told, I told him that I would judge his family forever because of the sin he knew about. His sons blasphemed God, and he failed to restrain them. Therefore, I swore to the house of Eli, the guilt of Eli's house will never be atoned for by sacrifice or offering. 
Samuel lay down until morning and then opened the doors of the house of the Lord. He was afraid to tell Eli the vision, but Eli called him and said, Samuel, my son. Samuel answered, here I am. What was it that he said to you? Eli asked, do not hide it from me. May God deal with you, be it ever so severely, if you hide from me anything he told you. So Samuel told him everything, hiding nothing from him. Then Eli said, he is the Lord. Let him do what is good in his eyes. The Lord was with Samuel, and he grew up, and he let none of Samuel's words fall to the ground. All Israel, from Dan to Beersheba, recognized that Samuel was attested as a prophet of the Lord. The Lord continued to appear at Shiloh, and there he revealed himself to Samuel through his word. The word of the Lord. Now I'd like to say there's a lot going on here, but... That's just scripture. <laughs> Anytime you really dig into scripture, there's a lot going on. And today we're going to talk about the faithful and the unfaithful. If you're looking for a sermon title, that's it, the faithful and the unfaithful. The time we're talking about, this is still the time of the judges. And... Briefly summarizing the story so far, we've talked about God's plan to redeem his good creation that became corrupt through man's choices and his choice of, of Abraham and his working through that line to, to bring about blessing to the whole world. We, we talked about that promise that God made to Abraham in, in Genesis 12, that he would bless him and his descendants and through them bless the whole world. So there's this group of people that have been singled out by God as the means through which he's going to work his redemption through the world. And right now, things are not, do not appear to be going well through that plan. Now last week was Easter, so we've kind of jumped ahead from Judges a bit. But at the end of Judges, there's this wonderful statement summarizing how things were in that day. And it says, in those days, Israel had no king and everyone did as they saw fit. Well, here we're going to have two kind of, well, actually three contrasting pictures of, of relating to God. And this, this wonderful prayer in the middle kind of tying everything together. And it opens with this story of Hannah and her husband. And Hannah is a barren woman. She can't, can't bear a child. Now, that is actually a, a well-known type in the Bible. So if you're, if you're reading this and you've been reading, you're familiar with the whole story of Scripture, you're going to go, oh, wait a minute, a barren woman waiting to have, who can't have a child. I know this story. This is the story of Sarah, Abraham's wife. This is the story of Rachel, Israel's wife. This is also the story of Rebecca and of Samson's mother, and now of Hannah. And we're also going to see in the New Testament, this is going to be the story of Elizabeth. So we're going to have this, this kind of picture of these six barren women. Now, two of them, all of them, when, you have a, the, when you're presented with a barren woman who is enabled to conceive through the, 
through the work of the Lord, the miraculous work of the Lord. In all cases, it's, it's not going to be an ordinary child. Something is going to be achieved through it. But in four of those cases, there's also an element where the mother was shamed by being barren. Now, being barren is a shameful state in, in this culture anyway. I'm not saying it is now. But in this culture, not, not having kids was very shameful. So they're all experiencing some form of shame. But out of these six women, four of them, it will specifically say that by this birth, God brought them out of their shame and gave them honor when they were shamed. And in all four of those cases, the birth of that son is going to mark a change in direction for the story of God's people and what he's doing. In the case of um, Sarah, the birth of Isaac is going to change Abram, just this typical pagan guy who's listened to God, into Abraham and the start of the family of God. In the case of Rachel, when she prays and her dishonor is taken away by the birth of Joseph, Joseph's the one that's going to lead that family into Egypt where that family is going to become a nation. And when we get here to Hannah, Hannah's son is going to mark the transition from Israel in this chaotic state, this kind of lost state where everybody's doing what seems good to them where the wickedness is increasing and he is going to usher in the kingdom of Israel. He is going to be the one that anoints Israel's first two kings. He's going to anoint Saul and he's going to anoint David. And in the New Testament, when we get to Luke and we see the story of Elizabeth, her son John is going to be the one who anoints the ultimate king, Jesus. So every time you get this trope of this barren woman who's having her shame taken away, God is really doing something. He is moving in a way that is going to move the story along. It's a picture of being in a place where, to your eyes, there, just, there does not seem to be a way forward. There doesn't seem to be any hope. So in that way, she's kind of a picture of the situation that Israel is in at this moment. They've, they've just become another group of people uh, in the Holy Land. They're, the Philistines are there, the Israelites are there. There's not much to differentiate them. And it, it, it seems like there's a stalling in the story of God. But God is going to come to that dead end, and he's going to open things up, and things are going to move forward. Now, when we get to the picture of her and her husband, we get that lovely picture of faithfulness. They go to the Lord, they appeal to the Lord, and, and they find their way out in that, in that prayer. And there, there's some really touching moments here. When, when you get to Hannah every year and she's coming back to the Lord's um, the Lord's house in Shiloh. This is before the temple, so there's, you're still having the, the tent of meeting is where people go to meet with the Lord. And every year she makes a little robe, it says, for her son. And you just picture, you know, this, this innocent little kid in the temple. And, and that's just a very touching picture that, you know, his mother gave him. And God does bless her, and she has other children. 
So we get this picture of faithfulness. And then we get Hannah's prayer. And Hannah's prayer is going to be, it's a type. It's setting out how the Lord is. She's going to talk about how the Lord continually, and we've seen this throughout the story, and we'll see it continually throughout the Bible. The Lord doesn't work through the strong. The Lord, in fact, brings the strong down um, because they trust in their own strength. And it's the humble over and over again. It's going to be the humble that are exalted. It's going to be those that seem to have no promise, those that seem to have no, no future, those that seem to have no strength that the Lord raises up and moves forward with. So we have this wonderful part in the middle with Hannah's prayer. You know, he raises the poor from the dust and he lifts the needy from the ash heap. He sits them with princes and has them inherit a throne of honor. Contrast that with Eli's sons. This is a picture of how Israel is at this point. Israel was intended, this is like we said, this is, this is God's plan to bring redemption and blessing to the world. It's Israel. They are, they are plan A. They have a goal. They have a mission to be a, to be a nation of priests and to minister God to creation. And they've turned away from it. They've lost sight of that. They're content to just exist as long as they have their land. They got theirs. And they're satisfied there. Well, here's Eli's sons. They are supposed to bring the nation of God, the nation of God before God. They're supposed to minister to him. And instead of doing that, they just see their position as an opportunity for, for profit. They just see it as how can they be blessed from it. Not only that, they, they bring it with force and they bring others into it. They say they send their servants out to threaten the Israelites. That's the Levites. So not only are they corrupt, but they're spreading corruption. They are sleeping with the women that, that minister, you know, at, at the gate, at the front of the, the temple of the, or the house of the Lord, the tent, the tent of meeting. So as far as that goes, ministry scandals are nothing new. Been with us for a while. But you'll see over and over in the, in the Bible, the priests actually stand in as a symbol for Israel. In, in fact, when Israel is brought back from the exile, God will talk about taking away the dirty robes from the high priest at that time and giving him clean uh, robes. He's actually talking to Satan about having redeemed the nation, and he'll say, you know, isn't this a brand I've snatched from the fire? And, and the high priest there is, is standing in for the nation of Israel. And here, these priests, they're kind of standing in for the nation of Israel, but in a really bad way. It's like they're, they are representing Israel, but they're not representing Israel in a good way. They have this mission to, to minister God to the people, and instead, they've turned it into an opportunity for profit. And Eli does confront them, but he just, he talks to them. And, and this will become clear in the prophecy against the house of, of Eli. He said, you know, you honored your sons more than God. 
you, you told them, hey, you shouldn't do this, so you at least know what's right. But in the end, there's no teeth in it. And because of that, cursing is going to come upon them. Now, there's some other things going on here. We've got Samuel now. Samuel is now ministering in the house of the Lord. They're priestly sons. They're of the tribe of Levi. They're of the priestly family. And they're doing wrong. And here you have Samuel. In the introduction, there's a lot of genealogy. It's easy to get confused. But it's clear he's an Ephraimite. He is actually from the tribe of Joseph. He's not from a priestly tribe. But he is actually ministering before the Lord. And he is the one who is faithful before the Lord. And here you're going to get this notion that the plans of the Lord aren't thwarted. And if the people that God has charged and given a mission to are not fulfilling that mission, God is perfectly capable of bringing somebody else in from the outside. You'll see this over and over again in Scripture. You see the the people of God kind of acting, well, like buffoons not fulfilling the call of God on their lives, and God just goes, okay, I'm just going to bring somebody in over here, and they're going to be faithful, and they're going to step in. You see this here. Jesus makes this clear when he's talking to the scribes and Pharisees. He said, hey, you, you, you say you're sons of Abraham? I'll tell you what, God can raise up sons of Abraham from these stones. So don't, don't be pra- placing your confidence in that. You know, place your confidence in the fact that you have a calling and you could discharge that calling, but if you're not, God will bring people in from outside that will take over. In this way, Samuel is a type of Jesus because when we get to Jesus, you're going to have the high priest and the, the whole temple bureaucracy is going to be ineffective. They're not going to be leading Israel in the truth of God, and so God is going to bring in Jesus, who is from the tribe of Judah, again, not the tribe of Levi, and install him as the high priest. And God will explicitly say, uh, through other New Testament works, that he's doing that um, using the precedent of Melchizedek, who not only wasn't even from the tribe of Levi, he wasn't even part of God's called family, but he was still the priest that God brought in to bless Abraham. So you have this notion that God has no problem at at all bringing other people in from outside the main stem of the story to fulfill that call of faithfulness. And in the end of the prophecy against the house of Eli here, it says, I will raise up from myself a faithful priest who will do according to what is in my heart and my mind, and I will firmly establish his priestly house and they will minister before my anointed one always. That is looking ahead to Jesus. Then everyone left in your family line will come and bow down before him for a piece of silver and a loaf of bread and plead, appoint me to some priestly office so I can have food to eat. I think it's ironic that at the end of that prophecy, what he's saying those descendants will do is not come and give glory to this new priest and say, oh, okay, I see where this was supposed to have gone. Can I serve with you? They're saying, give me a job so I can eat. Um, They're still focusing on their needs and not the call of God in their life. And then we have the call of Samuel. We have this person 
I think this is interesting because Samuel has been ministering faithfully before the Lord, but, but he hadn't yet heard the word of the Lord. So he's, he's doing what's right and he's not wicked, but it's not like he's received instruction. And, and the sad thing about that is he's in the temple, ministering to the temple. If anybody should have known the word of the Lord and the teachings of the Lord and should have been able to teach it to him, it would be Eli, the priest. But, but somehow that's not getting passed on in that household. And it depends on direct revelation. So we get the story. We get Samuel being called multiple times and then going. And the Lord telling him what's going to happen to the house of Eli. And you get this terrifying statement in verse 14. I swore to the house of Eli the guilt of Eli's house will never be atoned for by sacrifice or offering. And that sounds horrible. How many of you have heard this notion of a, a generational curse? You know, I will, I will punish the children and the grandchildren for the sins of the fathers. Well, you get that language a lot, but in almost all those verses, you kind of get this explanation that it's not random. It's not, well, you know, the dad did bad, so I'm just going to punish these other generations. It's that they're going to be punished for their generations, are going to be punished for their own sins. It's just, you've set such a bad example, that carries on. Now, the good news is the faithfulness of God lasts thousands of generations. It always outweighs the badness. But there's this sense that this house is never going to kind of straighten up and get right. You know, they're still at the end going to be pleading for their stomachs. But there's a little catch there. The guilt of Eli's house will never be atoned for by sacrifice or offering. You know what isn't mentioned in there? Repentance. God doesn't say, if they repent, I won't hear it. I won't turn and heal them. He just says, offerings and sacrifice aren't going to cut it. And we're going to find this throughout Israel's history. They're going to get to the point where God is going to say, I'm sick of your offerings and sacrifice. Don't, don't bring them to me anymore. I don't need them. What I need for you to do is be the people I called you to be. But amidst this picture of, of a selfish and self-indulgent Israel, we do have this example of the faithfulness of Samuel and his family and it's through this faithfulness that God is going to bring deliverance because it is going to be through Samuel that God is going to bring forth rulers for Israel. First, he's going to anoint Saul, and we're going to see that despite all Saul's promise, he's not going to be the king. And it's interesting because when, when Saul is first anointed, everybody thinks, oh, yes, this is the ruler we, we need because he is big and he is strong and he's handsome and he looks like the guy you would pick. You know, if you're on the basketball court and you get to choose first, you're going to pick Saul. But 
in some ways, Saul is, is, is anointed king almost as a judgment on Israel because Israel's been asking for a king. And you're going to come to this heartbreaking scene where the, when they're asking, where Samuel is going to realize they're rejecting him as judge over Israel, and God is going to say, well, don't worry, they're actually rejecting me. And they're asking for a king like the nations around them have. And so he will give them a king like the nations around them have. But the whole thing is they're not supposed to be like the nations around them. So eventually Samuel will anoint David, who when he, although he does become a magnificent king, when he's chosen, he's, you know, a, a skinny little runt. But that is exactly, when we go back to the prayer of Hannah, who God uses. Now, as I say, Israel is us. Israel is always a, a type of, it is the people of God, and we are the people of God. So this is also our history. It is very easy to think about the call and election of God and how that plays out in our lives and kind of sit in that, well, I got mine. <laughs> you know, I'm safe. I'm, I'm, you know, you can get that mindset of, you know, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm here and I'm just going to hold on till, till Christ returns. We're, we're never called to do that. <laughs> we're called to be salt and light. We can't just be satisfied that our needs are met. And we can't just use the calling and blessing of the Lord as something that makes our lives better at the expense of the people around us. We do have wonderful promises from God in Christ. Promises that he will never leave us or forsake us. That he will bring all of those God has given him at the last day. But that's not so we can go, woo, got out of the burning house. It's great. It's so that we can be agents to spread that blessing and to bring that blessing to the far corners of creation. God bless you.